We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect, there are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Yeah, I just went out there and did what Swaggy P do. <laughs> Teammates played great, and we um, came out with the victory, you know? I'm just trying to really get my, my NBA 2K rating up. You know, it's 12.02 right now. If they want to fire me at 12.05, I'll go home and find something to do. I'll have a good day. Welcome to the Tuesday, February 26th edition of the RotoWire NBA podcast, sponsored by FanDuel. My name is Joe Bartle, and alongside me, of course, is Alex Googlebean Barutha. I think we're going to be kind of discussing a lot of the action that took place Monday because, frankly, there's only three games for Tuesday slate. But if you want, you can skip a little further into the podcast. We'll be discussing a little bit more of our DFS uh, ideas, some players to target, focus on, and of course, Alex's will be guaranteed amazing lineup, of course. Always. Yes. But I think the biggest news, of course, is going to be James Harden's streak of 30-point-plus games ending last night, so Monday, in an 8-point win over the Hawks. Harden went 0-for-10 from 3, and he scored 28 points, so just shy of that 30-point streak. It ends at 32 games. During that run, he averaged 41.1 points, 7.6 rebounds, 7.4 assists, and 2.2 steals. And again, None of those stats really talk about his usage rate. It was very, very high, and I think, of course, that kind of plays a part into how he was able to do all that. But still, those are impressive numbers nevertheless. I think the national media has really been focusing James Harden and a little bit Paul George as the MVP candidates. But I guess I'll turn to you, Alex. Who do you feel like is the top MVP candidate currently? Sure. I, I still think it's Giannis. Um, just the 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 degree of which the 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 degree of success of which the bucks have had compared to just a lot of other teams and most other teams in the league is really impressive and some of that you know some of that goes to coach Bugenholzer um utilizing Giannis in a way that Jason Kidd wasn't to say the least but a lot of that also goes to prove how impressive Giannis is as a player that you know the bucks without a, a without what a lot of people would consider a, a a second star you know Chris Middleton made the all-star game but he's actually having a down year um it the the Bucks have 46 wins in the Eastern Conference and 
you know, by by terms of of net rating, they're plus nine point three. The second best team in the league, the Warriors, are plus six point eight, and that's a huge gap. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think what Giannis is doing on both sides of the ball, the way when you watch the Bucks, the offense completely runs through him. Uh, is is just really incredible and i understand the case for harden but for me just the overall team success makes me lean Giannis. i'm a Giannis truther as well i think frankly it's not exactly close as far as the mvp conversation i think it's Giannis. i would go paul george two harden three and then Jokic four and we'll kind of get to Jokic a little while in the podcast it's worth pointing out though that of course both of us on here are are bucks fans we live in madison so like there's there's a bit of Wisconsin homer going on, but I don't really feel like it's that difficult of a choice. Like, here are the obvious points. The Bucks are the number one team in the NBA, not just the Eastern Conference. They have the, the highest record in the NBA. Right. Nobody would have thought that three-fourths way into the NBA season. No. That was the Celtics, the 76ers, the Warriors, the Rockets, LA, LeBron, the Lakers, not the Bucks. We, we never sniffed that conversation. We were going to be happy to get the two, three, four, five seed and have a Giannis that improves and gets close to the three-point shooting that we've kind of seen in February and a little bit of January, too. Like, this isn't this isn't that difficult. He's been one of the better offensive players all year. I know what Harden just did over that 32-game stretch is incredible. But Giannis has been a pretty good scorer in his own right. He's able to provide way better defense. And not that Harden's been all that bad, given his past history. But Giannis is on a different level, the way he can affect the game defensively and not just offensively. And the way, again, like you mentioned— Chris Middleton, really, their second best player, hasn't been all that good. And not to say that Chris Paul or Clint Capella or even like a guy like Russell Westbrook have been excellent supporting cast players for either of the other two MVP candidates, but Giannis has kind of transcended what the Bucks could be right now. And I think that's a big reason why he should be in that MVP conversation. We're going to see the national media all, all over the next two or three or four weeks discuss Harden and discuss Russell Westbrook, I'm sorry, Paul George, and say, yeah, this MVP candidate. And it's really, frankly, because I feel like they don't watch the Bucks too often. Like, I don't know if you ever get that feeling, but I, I, I certainly do. I think, yeah, I think I think a lot of people watch Giannis highlights. Yes. Uh, because they're incredible and they're everywhere. Um, but, you know, sit down and watch a Bucks game. I mean, they're on national TV more than they used to be, so I, I think we have to at That's least. That's by default. Because they were never on national TV. Right. That's true. Never on national TV before. But, um, you know, I think I think it's just, it's interesting to look at, you know, their numbers kind of side by side and, and kind of compare things. I mean, Giannis, we, everyone talks about how great of a scorer Hargan is, and he is. Um, but Giannis has a higher true shooting percentage. Giannis is at 64 compared to Hargan 62. Giannis, by assist to turnover ratio, is about the same level of passer so you could argue that Giannis is just as good of a playmaker as Harden. And yeah, I mean, Harden takes way more shots um, per game. You know, he takes 24 compared to Giannis to 17. But I I don't know if this is like a, I don't know if this is an argument that's kind of a fallacy, but there are a ton of players in the NBA that could put up similar to- point totals to Harden if he took, if they took 24 shots a game and had the, if you put Kyrie Irving in the Rockets offense and had him with that usage rate. I think his numbers would be pretty similar to James Harden's. That's exactly it. It's not even just the shots, but Harden literally has the ball almost the whole time. And the case for Harden for the MVP isn't all that like hard either. I mean, that's a fantastic stretch that I outlined at the beginning of this, where he scores 41.1 points over 32 games. That's consistency, and consistent scoring should still be recognized, right? And the fact that really the Rockets especially with Chris Paul out for a significant amount of time, weren't expected to be this good in the Western Conference that has gotten a little bit worse, but not significantly worse. To see them even in playoff contention, I think, is a pretty impactful thing and really speaks to what Harden's been able to do, not just offensively, but on the defensive end of the side, too. So it's it's not that hard, but I'll go back to the fact that we've kind of seen Harden do this before as far as his MVP race with Russell Westbrook. And there's going to be a certain minority and a small minority of the NBA fan base that's going to be complain about the way he gets his points and all the free throws and herky-jerky stuff. And they'll long for the yesteryears of the 80s where he could clothesline somebody, punch him, and then pick him up and throw him into the stands, and it's nothing but just a normal foul. That's long gone. We're, we're past that point. So we need to stop complaining about that part of Harden's game because that's just how the NBA is today, and you have to get over it. That right. being said, 
Giannis is still able to do other things that Harden just can't do that impact the Bucks in such a way where he should be the MVP favorite. Right. And yeah, I don't want it to sound like I'm against James Harden getting the MVP because he, I think he's having a pretty much an equal season to what he did last year. And, you know, the MVP, you don't win the MVP by what you did for a stretch of 32 games. You win it for your whole, what you did across the entire season. Right. And I think when, you know, the season winds down, Harden's, you know, this, the statistical case for Harden is going to be pretty similar to what it was the year before. I mean, he's scoring more points this year. Right now, he's at six more points, but his assists are down essentially a full assist and his turnovers are up a full turnover. His efficiency isn't really any better. So in my opinion, he's having overall close to an identical season as last year, which is an MVP season. There's no doubt about that. He's been a top two MVP candidate for three straight years. I could I would argue his season in 2016-17 was better. He was averaging way more assists um, with similar scoring to the year before. That's beside the point. But there's going to be some voter fatigue, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, just seeing the team be less successful, even though they were dealing with a lot of injuries. I mean, Chris Paul being out for a long time and even not being the player that he was uh, he, that he used to be now because he's he's just getting older. I mean, the amount of 35-year-old point guards that age that well, even right. if they used to be MVP candidates themselves, um, it's just it's a, it's a very short list of players. And Clint Capella just got back like two games ago, three games ago. So, I you know, the case for, for Hargan's great, but I just, I feel like people are, I think the voting public is going to lean more towards Giannis once the season actually winds down i agree with you and i actually think the race between the second and third place people in the mvp as opposed to the first and second is going to be closer like i think paul george is on as equal footing as james harden is of course he's not scoring as much but what george is able to been doing defensively is incredible and i still think Giannis is the better defender but there's been a lot of national media saying okay paul george is going to be if not the defensive player of the year award he's going to be among the top three that has to play a part in MVP candidacy too. And the fact that he's doing this alongside Russell Westbrook, who really just like four months ago was the Thunder's clear and far away best player, and now has just easily passed that mantle over to Paul George, and it's like unquestionable for us to say otherwise, <laughs> that's an impressive feat in itself. And that's why I think Paul George probably is in the consideration, perhaps even ahead of James Harden for the MVP race. Yeah, I think you can, I think you can make that case. Um I'm not like I'm not sure I would go there, but at the same time, you know, I think players who I think players who lean more defensively get less credit MVP wise. Um, you know, you, you see that with Kawhi Leonard, I think to some extent. Um, generally more offensive players, they they get the bulk of the the attention. And George, yeah, really has been the best player on the Thunder. Uh, in my opinion, really hasn't been that close. But the Thunder now what I think a lot of people think have leapfrogged the Rockets in terms of the team to challenge Golden State. Paul George is a, is a huge part of that, if not the number one reason that that's the case. Um, you know, the Thunder have a top four defense. The only two teams, the only three teams better than them in defensive rating are the Jazz, the Pacers, and the Bucks. Uh, Bucks are number one. Um, <laughs> just a little, just a little. I just want, I just want to throw that out there with Giannis Antetokounmpo <laughs> leading the way. Um, but I mean, yeah, the Thunder have been, you know, um, even just what they've gotten from George and in the in the face of how poorly Westbrook has been shooting, and Steve Adams is a great player, but he's not really a third star. I mean, when you talk about quote unquote big threes, I don't think Stephen Adams. I think it's that's more of a big two. Um, and their bench is pretty thin, honestly. Um, you know, they have some great athletic players in there, Terrence Ferguson, guys like that. But I think George, it's pretty unquestioned that, that George has been a major, major part, if not the biggest part of why the Thunder are where they are in the standings. That's actually an excellent question. Like you talk about the big twos or big threes. So the Bucks, it would be Middleton and then Brogdon? I, it would be Brooke Lopez. Like, who who is the third best Bucks player? I mean, really, if you're talking about like all stars, it's really just two. It's it's Giannis and Middleton. And then, well, Bledsoe would probably be the third best player for the Bucks, right? It would be. Although you could argue that Brooke Lopez's presence is more crucial okay. to wins. It's, well, I mean, this is semantics. So the Thunder then are Paul George, Russell Westbrook, very, very, very significantly better players combined than I think Giannis and uh, 
Middleton would be. Sure. And then you'd throw in Steven Adams, and I think that's a better trio than what the Bucks be able to put together. Right? Yeah. I okay. mean, it's... No, it's just yes or no. You can't do this. Yes or no. <laughs> so yes or no. Is that trio for the Thunder better than the Bucks trio? Uh, is George... George Westbrook Adams. Is better than... Giannis and Bledsoe and Middleton. I I don't know. I still... I still want to lean at least name, Giannis. At least name I still value want to lean alone. the Bucks. At least name value alone. Name value fun. alone for sure. Right. And then you go to the Rockets, Harden, Paul, and Capella. That's a bigger name value brand than what the Bucks able to put together too. Right? It do, oh yeah. So that's yeah. that's just another thing I think factoring into the Giannis MVP debate. Not to steer this conversation right back to our favorite right. Bucks player <laughs> of all time, but I mean here we are. Like this is very clearly at least. Again, we are kind of educated basketball fans, not to say people who aren't listening or disagree with our opinion are not educated, but we understand. I've seen the Bucks now for a while. Bledsoe, I think, is severely underrated. Frankly, he should have been the second MVP from the Bucks team as opposed to Middleton. And Middleton should have been the MVP, or sorry, not MVP, All-Star. All-star. Yeah, and he, Middleton should have been an All-Star player last year. Not so much this year. Last year, Middleton was his All-Star year. So these guys are a little bit underrated, I think, in the national perception. But still, the fact that there's Russell Westbrook and Paul George out there, and yet the Bucks still have a significantly better record than the Thunder, that's that speaks to it. And I, I think, you know, again, back to the MVP, though, ultimately it's a chunk of hardware. And it, sure. it, it's a legacy thing, but it's a chunk of hardware. It's just a little bit of metal. Beating the Warriors probably is a more of a legacy-impacting thing than anything else. And frankly... The Thunder probably have the best chance in the Western Conference of doing so. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the general um, the general dogma has been that you have to have you have to beat the Warriors by scoring more points than them, and that's kind of the that was the argument for the Rockets. Is the Rockets were the only team that could keep up with the Warriors in terms of pace and in terms of points per game, and that it would be a shootout, and that's what we saw last year in the playoffs uh, when the you know the the Rockets were very very close to being in the NBA Finals against the Cavaliers. Um, but the Thunder being as great defensively as they are, I, I think I think that merits... I, I think you have to respect that, especially since I think they match up relatively well. I think they match up way better than the Rockets do or really any other team um, against the Warriors. You can have Paul George and Kevin Durant. Uh, you can have... I think Steven Adams is... Uh, you know, he's... I mean, Steven Adams is huge. I mean, he's the kind of guy you want defending DeMarcus Cousins... DeMarcus Cousins' ability to shoot the three makes things a little more complicated there. But, mm-hmm. you know, they have other options. They have Jeremy Grant that they can throw out there. Um, and then you have just a just a smorgasbord of athletic wings that you can throw at Steph Curry, uh, Clay Thompson. Um, and, and are, you know, it's you. I don't even know if you have to guard Draymond Green at this point past yeah, 15 true, feet. So um, you probably throw your worst defender on him. Um, and yeah, I think, I think they have a, a legitimate shot, especially, I mean, if Westbrook can shoot a basketball averagely, <laughs> like if he can, like, I'm serious, like if, if Russell Westbrook can shoot league average, a, a basketball, um, they have an amazing shot at, I think, taking the Warriors down. I don't think it will happen, but I think they have a great shot. That's, that's probably laying it on a little bit too thick for me. Like, I, yeah, I actually think the Thunder have the best chance to beat the Warriors, but I would maybe give Oklahoma City six games in a series oh, against, sure. against the Warriors. Maybe give them six games. And again, that really depends on Russell Westbrook going out of his mind to carry them to one. And maybe a guy like Steph Curry rolls his ankle or something. We have to keep him out for another game. Like I just don't see a scenario where this Warrior team loses, whether it be to the Bucks, to the Pistons, to, to the – I see the Pistons because Shannon's office. And, of course, <laughs> he's a Detroit fan through and through. The Nuggets, Rockets, Thunder – LeBron in LA, like I just don't see a scenario in any way where the Warriors are going to lose this championship, and it's it's tough to kind of say that's a foregone conclusion. But frankly, we entered this season with this being the expectation, especially with the addition of Demarcus Cousins, that the Warriors winning was a foregone conclusion. I think the Bucks making to the finals would be awesome to see the Celtics compete against the Warriors. Probably is the best chance uh, for a. I don't know. I, I think that's unfair to say to Milwaukee, but. To see some of those young guys from Boston, especially with the Anthony Davis stuff surrounding what could happen, that would be compelling NBA Finals as well. But, um, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, the Warriors are probably going to end up waltzing through the playoffs and and route to another title for Golden State. Yeah, I think I think that's almost an inevitability. Unfortunately, we haven't seen like the full either Thunder or Warriors at full strength play each other. I mean, I think it's intentional. 
<laughs> it's uh it's by Adam Silver. I mean these two the the Thunder and the Warriors haven't played since November 21st. Man. And uh the the Warriors won the November 21st game <clears throat> or excuse me the Thunder won the November 21st game by 28, but that was only because Kevin Durant or like you know Quinn Cook was the second best available player on the Warriors. And then the first game of the season was Warriors Thunder. Um and Westbrook wasn't there for that because uh, he was recovering from a from knee surgery and uh warrior excuse me the thunder lost by eight so i think you know generally like we haven't we haven't seen these teams like take each other on yet um in their in their what is now their established forms right and so i think that's interesting um but i agree overall i agree i think the warriors <clears throat> excuse me i think the warriors are this is they're going to win the championship again. We've spent way too much time talking about the the evil empire right now. We don't need to <laughs> spend more podcast, precious podcast time on Golden State. I think, again, going back to Monday's game, of course, James Harden's streak breaking probably is the biggest news for NBA purposes. But the fact that Trey Young was able to say career high in that same contest with 36 points, he made eight three-pointers. He also posted eight assists. In 11 February games, Trey Young is averaging 22.2 points around 44% from the three-point line, and 9.2 assists in those 11 contests. Obviously, we've seen all that Doncic has been for the the Mavericks, and really he's been, I think, a game-changer not just for that franchise but for the NBA, and he's going to be an exciting talent to come. Of course. They're going to be linked together for forever. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, that trade, and they should. I mean, that was an impactful one. But I think Young is kind of getting a little bit, um, well, thrown under the truck, so to speak, just because of how that trade ended up playing out. Yeah. I mean, and uh, you know, the beginning, the beginning of Trey young season was like, not good. He went through a really tough stretch where he was not shooting the three very well. It was like 20%. It just wasn't good at all. And his passing wasn't, you know, it's just, he wasn't showing up. And, but now he's eased into the season a little bit. The Hawks have been playing really well. I mean, they, I, I watched them beat the Lakers. Um, it was, it was just an incredible. I mean, they're just playing out of their minds, and I think Trey Young has to be. You know, we have to recognize that he's been a big part of that, and the Hawks caught so much flack for that trade on draft night. There, were people are like, "This is the this is a horrible trade." Even like, even still today, I mean, I don't think it was a great trade, but when you look at how successful Trey Young has been lately. Um, you could argue that Trey Young's a better passer than Luka Doncic, just from a from a raw stats perspective, turnovers compared to assists. And you know, I think Doncic is a better all around player. But the Hawks got that top five protected pick from Dallas, which is going probably going to convey this year, um, because I think the the Mavericks have like the seventh worst record in the league. So the I think, and that we're not going to see the full um, scope of this trade until three four years down the line, right? But, well, um, would it be fair to say that if that pick conveys this year and the Hawks get anything out of it? I mean, we're kind of judging this conversation right now on some pin, uh, some ping pong ball shenanigans. Like, depending on if the Mavericks do end up giving that pick over to the Hawks, if they get another top ten, top seven pick that ends up even being remotely good, even like a role player, would you feel more comfortable about that deal from the Hawks' perspective? I think yes. Like, and I, I guess for some reason I thought I heard that Luca didn't want to play for Atlantis. That's kind of why the conversation ended up happening and the trade ended up being made. I don't remember if those reports actually ended up being true or not, but it was just something that I had read. And again, obviously he's been amazing for the Mavericks. And we all know that. We knew that coming in, what he was going to be as far as a special talent. But I think Trey Young has gotten, again, a little bit of a negative connotation to him when he probably shouldn't have given he was still a quality player in a very, very solid draft. Yeah, yeah, and I just, he was a, he was definitely like the biggest, I think one of the biggest gambles of the draft, you could argue, was also Mobamba. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I mean, we have to just, you know, for, I, I was a, one of the people who thought this trade was like absolutely insane, like crazy. <laughs> uh, and now, you know, I, I don't, I can see, now that Trey Young's actually playing well, uh, you can see why the trade made sense that you know the i listened to a podcast i think it was i think it was the Woj pod um talking with travis schlank who's the hawks gm and he just talks about you know they're they're doing this is a real rebuilding effort for them where 
you know, at the end of the day, teams like the 76ers got where they got because they just amassed as much young mm-hmm. talent, as many shots as possible at these players. And that's that's what the Hawks did. Sam Hinkie died for what the 76ers are today. That's that's for certain. Yes. yes. Yeah. But we'll move on to the next point. But before we transition to that, I just want to point out LeBron James is a great player. He is. He is going to be, I think, the best player in NBA history. And I know, again, I'm biased because I'm 26 here. I've been growing up with LeBron all my life. Yeah. I've seen him become what he is now. So I, I have a, a certain biasness to him. I am reveling in what the Lakers have been <laughs> this season. Like it, it is it is fun in like some sadistic way to watch how this is kind of all occurring. So of course the latest bit of Laker news, LeBron following a loss to the tanking Grizzlies, yes, it's not just the normal Grizzlies, they are the tanking Grizzlies, was asked if the pressure of it all was becoming a distraction to his team. And this was LeBron's quote. At this point, if you are still allowing distraction to affect how the way you play, then this is the wrong franchise to be a part of. And you should just come and be like, listen, I don't think this is for me. I cannot do this. Now, of course, the the subquoting is going directly to literally every one of his other Laker teammates that <laughs> is under the age of 29 and hasn't seen LeBron do this now for what seems like six, seven, eight seasons with Miami and, of course, Cleveland, too. Like, this is this is nothing new for LeBron GM. This should be nothing new. This no. is what the Lakers brought on when they signed him. And the fact that they were able to go, or that they acquired like Lance Stevenson and Rondo and Javal McGee, and it's like, oh yeah, we want as many ball handles as possible to take the pressure off of LeBron. The Lakers missed the point that they all suck. Those right. players are not very good. Like, and, and I understand we've kind of tried this thing with LeBron where we have a bunch of three-point shooters around him, he drives in. He can't do that now. His body's had so many more minutes. I understand we can't, that that's kind of long gone. But to me, this process always seemed like a poor choice. Maybe it's personnel, but to me, it was the strategy itself just never seemed to make sense for what LeBron's skill set really is. Yeah, it's, I mean, if you watch LeBron play, you can tell, I mean, I think it's a combination of of age and just emotional fatigue. I think physical and emotional fatigue for LeBron James is taking a toll this year. Um, The main thing that I see is he tries to coast through the first part. He tries to coast through like the first half of games and be a facilitator. He's one of the best facilitators in the league, so I can't completely knock that. Um, But we all know his defensive effort is very low. Um, I think the entire defensive scheme is based on – I'm I'm dead serious. I think the entire defensive scheme is based on LeBron having to move as little as possible. Everyone else covers the people who are running in circles, and LeBron just – tries to do as little jogging as possible. Um, and then I think part of the problem is then when it's third, fourth quarter, and he needs to turn it on because the rest of his team isn't that good, he just can't do it like the way he used to. He can't take over games in the same sense that he used to, and I think that's what we're seeing from him. It's especially noticeable when you see him launching 30-foot threes. Right. And when he when before he those crossed someone up and dunked on somebody. Those shots that he ended up settling for even three years ago. Never. You know, like that just, that wasn't one of those things. No, I I agree. I I agree completely with you. So again, maybe the shooting thing would have actually been better if they acquired shooters out there. However, you could also say that maybe if any of their young guys, literally any of them developed to the point where we thought they could entering the year, they wouldn't be in this position to begin with either. Like that, that's, that has to be one of the biggest storylines from this season. We're going to have the Warriors most likely win the championship. We've had the Bucks rise to be one of the better teams in the NBA. We've seen a couple of big stars get traded. Chris Stapps, Porzingis in particular, yeah. a guy that moved that, wow, we had no idea even entering the NBA year that this could occur. But the fact that a guy like Kyle Kuzma, Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Hart, none of them could really be anything more than complementary pieces to a guy like LeBron James is stunning for as young as those guys are. And the fact that all of them, plus the kitchen sink and probably half of L.A., were included in a trade to Anthony Davis and the Pelicans, still said no, speaks in large part to what those players have not become and really have affected how the NBA season has occurred as a result. Yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, the, at the same time, these players are v- extremely young. Like Kyle Kuzma's 23, Brandon Ingram's 21, Lonzo Ball's 21. This is this is a lot for them. I just thought a strange part of this like specific quote from LeBron was that like he – LeBron played okay. Right. Like, yeah, well, he had 24 points, 12 rebounds, 11 assists, and 3 steals, but he did shoot 8 of 23. So, yes, triple-double. Not efficient triple-double, but he played okay. I right. agree with you. He played okay. It was a solid LeBron <laughs> game. 
but like Brandon Ingram and Kyle Kuzma went a combined 21 of 33 from the field for 54 points. Who is he talking to? Like, who is LeBron referencing in this? They lost to the Grizzlies. Ingram and Kuzma played, like, both really well. And LeBron played okay. I don't understand who he's throwing Dude, shade at McGee. in this game. McGee. Yeah, it's like, well, what are you mad at? Like, <laughs> Mike Rondo. Well, yeah, is, was Mike Muscala not the answer? <laughs> like, I'm not, like, this is a very weird quote that to say. A, oh, my God, yeah. Like, we weren't on the podcast uh, in time to talk about the Muscala trade, but that was probably the most confusing deadline acquisition that I think I've seen, not just this year, but in recent memory. But we'll, we'll ignore that. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I 100% agree with you. Who Who is he trying to actually attack here when really – he was the one that was shooting eight of twenty three. Yeah, it's a it's a very strange quote from from LeBron. I it's it's one of those things that I guess it seems like it's about this game, but maybe it's just like he's projecting his feelings over the course of like the past month. I just I would love for them to not make the playoffs. Like just and I just have some really deep satisfaction. Like if the Patriots for some reason weren't able to make it to the playoffs <laughs> or in week seventeen they lost the Dolphins to get knocked out, there'd be some real and I have like no real frustrations. Like I have no liter- legitimate biasness towards the Patriots other than I want to see them lose. Right. And I feel like that same thing would happen. Like I love for the Lakers to miss the playoffs. But then again, I wouldn't want to hear the stories about like oh, this 14th pick is going to be so valuable and it's going to be included in every trade. And Like, stop it. Like, 14th pick isn't even very good in an NBA 2K league. Let's not pretend like this is going to be this revolutionary thing. But you know if the Lakers missed the playoffs, that would be, like, the big talking point from that, too. Yeah, I mean... I, <laughs> There's my rant. <laughs> that's okay. This season is just very strange. I mean, LeBron, the, the Lakers are only 23 and 19 when LeBron plays. Yeah. Like, I mean, he missed a bunch of time, but in the games that he plays, they're 23 and 19. It's just, I know they've missed Lonzo Ball. You know, LeVar Ball came on whatever show he went on and said that, you know, LeBron can't win a championship without Lonzo. (laughs) I don't even care about that. Like, it's, this is the weirdest, this is one of the weirdest LeBron seasons that we've ever seen. And LeBron's had some weird, including last year where they traded for Isaiah Thomas and then immediately dumped, you know, IT for Jordan Clarkson. And, you know, it's just. Yeah. No, you're right. I mean, this is that that's probably a good way of putting 2018-19 season. The weirdest LeBron season to date, and he's had some weird ones. Yes. <laughs> All right, well, let's go ahead and touch on some of the best and worst performances from Monday, and then we'll kind of get more into the Tuesday three-game slate. So using basketball references game score, which takes into account all box score stats, so including percentages, we're going to be referring to players who saw at least 20 or 24 minutes in this conversation. So to start off from Monday, Carl Anthony Towns versus the Kings. He had 34 points. It was 13 of 18 shooting, 3 of 6 from downtown, and 5 of 7 for the free throws. 21 rebounds, 5 assists, 2 blocks. Yes, that's the cat that's on my fantasy team that's in 6th place right now in the Rotowire. Deep, deep, deep auction draft. Uh, and in February, he's actually averaging 28 points. 13 rebounds, 4 assists, 1 block, and 65% shooting. So probably actually more embarrassing that I'm still only 6th in that league, the fact that I have Carl Anthony Towns on my team. Is that 20-team league? Yeah, it is a 20-team That's league. rough. Yeah. That's really rough. DJ Trainer is running rough shot on all of us right now. Yeah, it's uh, yeah. when you go 20-team auction, you have to like... You you have to nail everything. You have to nail everything, and I w- I would argue that you don't even want anyone that's an All NBA player on your team because of the amount of money you have to spend on them, and it's a it's a whole thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I don't even know when the next we'll we'll some off season uh, some off season pods. We'll talk about twenty team auction value. Yes, strategy. yeah, that'll be that'll be perfect. Until then, though, you have to wait on beta breath for that podcast. Cody Zeller went twenty eight points, thirteen of fourteen from the field, two of two from free throw, nine rebounds, three steals, three blocks, two assists. Again, this was Monday against the Warriors of all teams. Like, I mean, this is going back to our discussion where, of course, Demarcus Cousins didn't play all of that game, but you can have some offensive numbers in the posts. In the post, I don't know why there's two posts. In the post <laughs> against Golden State, like it's quite possible. And I think a guy like Cody Zeller, if he can do that, just imagine what a Clint Capella, James Harden pick and roll situation could occur. Yeah, we've seen we've seen some centers uh, do damage against the Warriors, and you know I, maybe that'll decrease once Cousins is fully healthy. But we also need to just shout out Cody Zeller in general. I mean, the uh, you know Coach James Borrego has been playing him close to 30 minutes a night recently which hasn't really been the case for Zeller. He's been at 25 million a night, basically throughout his entire career. I think a lot of that has to do with his injury history. He's missed a lot of games. But over the past five games, Zeller, 
17 points, nine rebounds, two assists, combined 2.5 uh, blocks and steals on 57% shooting. I mean, he's if he's for some reason on your the waiver wire in your fantasy league, you need to pick him up. That's not even a question to me at this point. Uh, and yeah, he's um, he, he's a good guy to use in daily fantasy at this point, although oh, I'm yeah. sure his well, price I mean, has been moved up. You had been so. talking about him even before, like I mean, back in January and, and early December, that was a guy that you had been focusing as far as a 6,000 to 5,000 play player that you could rely on constantly. Yeah, I mean, him and Cody Zeller, or excuse me, him and Kemba Walker, uh, just have a nice little like, <laughs> yeah, have just a nice little you know one-two combo. They've they've had that for a long time now uh, in Charlotte, and it's um, you know when when Zeller gets the minutes, he can be productive. Uh, Montrose Hill, Harrell against the Mavericks, thirty-two points, fourteen of seventeen from the field, four or five from free throws, five rebounds, five assists, two blocks. That was a career high of points for him Monday, uh, and he's averaging about nineteen on sixty-five percent shooting throughout the month of February. That's another one of your DFS darling kind of guys that yeah. at least at one point was in that 6,000 range, but now really has frankly crept up to one of the better power forward or center options in your respective daily fantasy option. Yeah, and I think just even aside from fantasy basketball, I think Montrez Harrell might be the best player per dollar in the NBA. Wow. Wow. Yeah, in in DFS? Serious. No, like real life. Oh, okay. And wow. uh, yeah, I mean, he's making, he makes, he makes $6 million this year and $6 million next year guaranteed. So the, the I didn't realize his contract was that 6 good. million and he, he's averaging on the, on the year, 16 points, six and a half rebounds to assists, shooting 63% from the field. He, I mean, he is, he's all over the place. If you look up, you know, advanced numbers, like the win shares, value over replacement player, all that stuff, he is near the top in a ton of those stats the fact that he's making six million this year and next year when the best player in the nba right now matthew delvadova is making 12 million dollars <laughs> in one season is incredible to me like the value that matthew uh, harrell's having that matthew harrell that's an interesting combination of course i'm being very very facetious because matthew delvadova is amazing but not that good uh the fact that harrell's able to do that is kind of incredible it's a great i think he i mean he deserves real six man of the year candidate um you know uh, votes same with most improved player i mean he's he's incredible bang for the buck like i said is is fantastic uh before we get to the dfs stuff i just want you to pick out maybe we have three people listed on our rundown here but just pick out one of the worst performances <laughs> of monday's slated games because there's a few of, of course really wasn't a lot of big names that really did poorly but uh there's a couple of guys you can definitely touch on no yeah and and kind of the point of this is like if a guy is getting at least 24 minutes in a game, he's probably a, a fantasy relevant player. So I think the guy I probably want to highlight is Kenrich Williams. The other two guys for reference were Bryn Forbes and Justin Holiday, both had completely bad games. But Kenrich Williams uh, for the Pelicans, uh, he came out very hot and had a really nice stretch of games when Anthony David, the, you know, the, the it basically started when the rest of the Pelicans team got hurt. And they were forced to play Cambridge Williams. But now that essentially the team's healthy again, Julius Randle's in, Anthony Davis still plays, I guess. Uh, Julio Okafor is back. Everyone's back. Um, Cambridge Williams over the past five games, only 6.4 points on 33% shooting. Not a lot of double-digit field goal attempt games in there. The 6.6 rebounds, 2.4 assists, and 1.2 steals over that stretch are nice. But if you picked up Cambridge Williams in your fantasy league and dropped someone you know, of top 100 value that that doesn't look as good now and maybe at some point anthony davis will sit i don't i just don't know at this you know um but yeah i I think i think we have to we always generally i think on podcasts and like you know as fantasy writers focus on when guys play really really well sure but uh cambridge williams yeah i i don't know i don't know if i want to call him a drop candidate but definitely you know put a little um, a flag, flag, him, right flag him, yeah. It's funny you mentioned the Pelicans. And with all the Anthony Davis stuff, I knew they weren't going to do it. But uh, we're going to get very soon, we're going to get to the point, and very soon in the NBA season, where I'm going to shine. My G League knowledge, and of course, that's one of the many hats yeah. I wear at RotoWare, my G League knowledge is going to be very impactful for these final few weeks of the season. And I frankly thought the Pelicans should have made a few additions as far as picking up some G League talent. Jordan McRae made a ton of sense to me that he was the guy that 
I think he scored 58 points uh, last month in a G League game, and that's the record currently for this season. Oh, wow, okay. Um, and, but he's been averaging 34 a night for the Capital City Go-Go. Sure. And to me, that felt like a guy that would be able to soak up a lot of minutes. He used a score through and through. He doesn't do anything else. Like, he's got to be averaging two rebounds per game, even for the Go-Go. But the fact that he's scoring 30 nights incredible to me. But actually, the leader in G League scoring right now is Darius Johnson-Odom. Is it really? Yes. Yeah. And I don't know why that fact is important other than the Pelicans should be acquiring all these people, or at least they should have before the deadline, because the guys they're trotting out there right now, frankly, aren't going to be competitive people on a championship roster. And that's kind of what you're looking at at this point, especially when you know the Anthony Davis stuff is going to kind of fall through. Getting those uh, six, seven, eight, nine guys on your bench and giving them a realistic chance is, I think, an important uh, important point for them the rest of the way. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the... The G League is only becoming more important, and I don't know. I mean, he's Jordan McRae has played some NBA games for yeah, the Wizards. He scored 20, he's 20. Like two weeks ago. That's, that's, what, yeah. that's what I'm looking at. He played the they lost to the Hawks. He scored 20 points in 26 minutes. He had two steals and two blocks in that game too. Um, so yeah, it's if the Pelicans. That's the thing. If the Pelicans had just like committed to this tank earlier, yep, exactly. Earlier they could be you know experimenting with all these players, but now that they're still in this weird like pseudo tanking just weird anthony davis zone right just it what do you it's just what are you doing well a guy like christian wood too for the bucks and again we're going back to milwaukee a bit of a home ground thing but he was one of the best players in the g league he has such a unique body and type and I, i imagine milwaukee probably wouldn't have wanted to move him regardless because of what he's able to do and we've kind of seen him come on a little bit too with dj wilson as Maybe yeah. guys that could be relevant, maybe not in the playoffs, but towards the end of the season when you're trying to give Giannis and Middleton and Bledsoe less minutes, a guy like Christian Wood's going to be very important. And we have saw him, at least last night, where there was things he was doing that big guys like him shouldn't be able to do. And there's a lot of players like that in the G League, and we'll, we'll be able to address some of them as we get a little bit closer towards the end of the season. We start to see these guys surface. But again, Jordan McRae if the Wizards really are committing to this tanking process, is going to be a great DFS play because he can score, literally, he could score in Space Jam against <laughs> the aliens. I don't, like, that guy just, he lives for scoring at this point. Uh, before we get to the DFS, great news if you're looking to get into daily fantasy sports. We have joined up with FanDuel to bring you free six-month membership to Rotowire. It's as easy as going to fanduel.com slash rotowire dash sub, signing up for a new account and making a $10 deposit. That'll be your ticket to get over $50 in value from the RotoWire site. That's right. You'll get six months access to all tools and sports on RotoWire.com. Perfect if you're getting ready for your baseball season as well, including DFS lineup optimizers, weekly rankings, premium articles, full season draft software, and much, much more. You'll get all of that for $10, which you can then enter into contests to potentially win more. We're very excited to bring you this deal. And if you want access right away, go to FanDuel.com slash RotoWire dash sub and follow the instructions. Of course, Eligibility restrictions apply, and new FanDuel users only. See FanDuel.com for more details. Alex, I want to get your opinion on some of the highest, uh, well, maybe not even the highest players, because we kind of know, at least on a three-game slate, who we should be targeting. But let's transition over to maybe some point cards that we're interested in. Sure. Um, I think two guys to monitor. Again, we try to do this this guy or that guy segment. Similarly priced players at positions. So a guy like Dennis Smith at 7,400 against the Magic, or Jamal Murray at 6,800 against the Thunder. I think is a relevant, interesting conversation to have when it comes to DFS lineups. It is, and I think, you know, I'm I'm going to lean Murray. Um, you know, he's he's the more talented player in general, so it's easy to be like, well, he's more talented, he's cost less. It's it's that simple. But um, you know, to break it down a little more than that, the the Nuggets are expected to score 17 more points than the Knicks tonight, and that means not only more potential points for Murray himself, but more assists. Um, the pace should be higher, so there's more rebounds, even though he's not much of a rebounder. But with this game, I mean, this is OKC against Denver. We talked, you know, about both those teams earlier. Right. This is a very important game and should be a close game. Uh, the spread on this is Nuggets favored by three. And I think when it comes down to close games, important games, Murray, you know, the stars of each team should play a ton of minutes. I wouldn't be surprised if Jamal Murray played 40 minutes tonight. Um, and, you know, Dennis Smith Jr. doesn't really matter if the Knicks get blown out. He'll play 30, you know, some minutes anyway. But... I think the pressure being on, I think Murray 
isn't isn't a good spot to shine here. This got cut out when uh, I goofed up in the podcast earlier, but I had talked and and spent a little bit of time, probably too much time, frankly, on my Nuggets love. And of course, Jokic is the reason why everyone else loves the Nuggets. I actually love the Nuggets because of Jamal Murray. So I have a bit more of a, a personal fan base kind of thing for Jamal Murray as far as his DFS assets. I agree with you, though. I think for $600 less, give me Murray, who I think has the higher upside, and that's kind of what you're always looking for when you have a higher upside player who's also a little bit cheaper. That's probably the way you want to go. Like You can see Murray realistic, not realistically, but getting 50 points is not out of the, out of the equation here, whereas it's Dennis not, Smith, no. I, you know, I just feel like there's a bit more of a, a safer floor, but a floor as opposed to what Murray can provide. Yeah, I, I just I'm not quite ready to to trust Jen Dennis Smith Jr. In, in a lot of situations, especially when he's more expensive than Jamal Murray. I get OKC is a good defensive team. That's another thing we talked about, but I just, you know, I I want to lean towards Murray here. Sticking on the Nuggets theme, Jokic at 11,000, I think he's the second highest priced player, right? Uh, Yes. Uh, no, third highest third, priced okay. player. Jeez. Paul George is yeah. $600 more. Okay. All right. Jokic at th- uh, 11,000, th- so the third highest priced player, of course, only can slot him in at center on FanDuel or Vucevic at 10,600. He's the fourth highest priced player against the Knicks. I would lean towards Vucevic here. Uh, I know what Jokic can provide, but I'm going to go Vucevic as far as the matchup pertains. Yeah, it's the price difference is not much. It's $400. I think, I mean, we all know Jokic has the higher upside, but I, for some reason, I, I want to lean Vucevic here. Um, I, I think their prices, each player's prices is fair, equally fair. I just don't have any faith in New York's front line to contain Nikola Vucevic. DeAndre Jorgen's questionable with an ankle um, injury. Not that he cares about defense anymore. Um, but, you know, Mitchell Robinson is a is a great defensive player, a good option for DFS, but he also is prone to foul trouble. And so overall, I think Vucevic, um, it would not surprise me if Vucevic ended up with more fantasy points than Jokic or at least higher value on the price. The shade that you just gave DeAndre Jordan nearly set an eclipse off somewhere. Like that was that was impressive levels of shade that you just provided. He, I, I watched uh, just, but inherently I watched him play a lot because of the Mavericks. And I want to see Luka see Luka Doncic play. He just played no help defense. He used to be one of the best shot blockers right. in the league. He's like below one block per game over the past two seasons. It's ridiculous. And he has no defensive effort. And now that he's in New York. Why, why would that change? He's Alex like, Google me Barutha is like, <laughs> no, this DeAndre Jordan guy, he's just so bad at defense now. Boy, gosh. Well, this, this frustrates me because he used to be one of my favorite players in the league. It was like Dwight Howard. Once Dwight oh, Howard so started playing bad. He's personally offended. This is a vendetta. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we've gotten down to the point. <laughs> I see. All right. Well, before we get off to more of a tangent, which I'm sure DeAndre Jordan will provide if we give it a long, long enough right. time, how about we run through your FanDuel lineup? You're able to put something together for Tuesday's three-game slate. Right. I wasn't exactly happy with this lineup i think it, this is a this is a really tough slate in my opinion to get value especially if you want to put some stars in your lineup this is really tough um so i went kyle lowry and jamal murray at point guard you get some star value there then my shooting guard's pretty sketchy uh lonzo trier at 3700 for new york that's pretty much my drop spot um which i have another one later uh so oh, it's always alert. good when you it's have always a good lineup two with two draft spots <laughs> um and then malik beasley uh you know for denver i think he's a guy who can get you 20 25 fantasy points he's got a relatively high floor uh it's small forward jonathan isaac uh against the knicks isaac he's cooled off a little bit lately but his block and steal upside is fantastic and i don't trust new york to take care of the ball uh and then i have paul george at my uh, at my other small forward spot, I think he speaks for himself. Uh, and then Paul Millsap at power forward. I think you have to take him over the field. He's been playing so well lately, um, averaging over 50 uh, fan duel points over the past three games. Uh, and then my other power forward spot is my other drop spots, Daniel Tice uh, at 3,700. He can go for 20 uh, fantasy points. Um, he's a good three-point shooter. Um, it will... I don't expect a lot to happen there. the The real question of this lineup is who has fewer fantasy points, uh, Alonzo Trier or Daniel Tice. And then at center, um, I actually went Mitchell Robinson. Uh, even if even if DeAndre Jorgens out, or excuse me, even if DeAndre Jorgens in, um, I still think he gives you upside of thirty ish fantasy points. If DeAndre Jorgens in, I may reconsider this, but as of right now, um, we're still not sure of, of DeAndre's status. If DeAndre's out, I think Mitchell Robinson is close to a must-play at center, 
just because he's one of the best shot blockers in the league, like very literally, much better than DeAndre Jordan. Uh, and Boy, you're still you're still on that right now. His most recent game, 15 points, 14 rebounds, five blocks. Incredibly impl- impressive. Uh, a few games before that, he dropped 49 fantasy points on the right. on the 76ers. It's a whole thing. So that's my ten- tentative lineup right now. Um, and the reason it's so difficult is because really there's only two injuries or major injuries to note. Kawhi Leonard, yes. who we're expecting to be back. He's just resting, or at least he rested on Sunday. So we'd assume that he's good to go for Tuesday. We haven't heard any indication, at least at 2.52 central time, as to what Leonard's status is, but we're expecting him back. And then DeAndre Jordan really is the only other guy that's relevant that is potentially injury noteworthy. So that's kind of what's making Tuesday's three-game slate, as far as getting a lineup together, difficult. Yeah, there's just really not that much value on the board. And that that can make it extremely tough, especially if you're searching for a GPP lineup, which I should clarify, I usually play GPP, so I'm looking for upside um, and then some lower price guys. But yeah, it, it makes it tough on a three-game slate. It's um, especially with you know uh, a site like FanDuel. It's great because you you get to drop the lowest price players. You get to take some shots in the dark. Right. But your players are only eligible for one spot, so it limits you a little bit that way. It's a I, every DFS site's a mixed bag, but um, I, you're gonna have a tough time no matter what site you're it's on today. Worth- pointing out i think that the fact that there are so few options if one does surface tonight whatever around like six o'clock uh central time or right around that time zone where you need to get your lineups in would you want to put that person in knowing probably full else everybody else is going to be doing that or would you rather kind of stay away and this is super hypothetical and probably too wide scoping then it's fair to give you the question but again three games you're looking for any sort of value possible especially with how difficult the lineup is for you Alex, Google me, Rutha, the DFS expert. I'm I'm curious to hear your opinion on that. So, like, if Kyrie Irving got ruled out, something crazy like that, yeah. If with, yeah, if Kyrie Irving gets ruled out, like with 30 minutes, you know, before lock and everyone goes like Terry Rozier or something, I I think you know there are certain situations that the Irving situation is interesting because I think you have to understand that FanDuel and a lot of other sites will just keep Terry Rozier's price up. There's no reason because Kyrie Irving will get like ruled out right. randomly uh, or seemingly randomly for like, you know, his, he, he gets his hip, his knee, whatever. So Terry Rozier, even in a game like tonight where Irving is fully expected to play, Terry Rozier is $6,400. So you know that if Kyrie Irving rules out, a lot of people are probably just automatically go to Rozier. But then you have to wonder, is 6400 even a great price for Rozier? Or is everyone just going to pivot there because that's what they think? is going to happen um that situation is a little convoluted i might yeah on a three-game slate you have to get weird like just to win uh, maybe i didn't get weird enough i don't know um daniel tice probably won't get a lot of play but um yeah like a last minute on a three-game slate a last minute scratch um like really consider if there are any other options and well, I mean, it's super simple in this situation. We'll be posting this podcast on the RotoWire Twitter page. It'll be retweeted by the both of us, and you can just simply comment on the doc or on the link itself if you feel like there are any last-minute changes that you would or wouldn't occur. But it is an interesting point of conversation, particularly with a difficult slate as it is. If a known guy goes out and opens up a ton of minutes for somebody else, what your decision is at that point probably affects literally how your entire lineups go after that. Like it's just, it really is going to boil down to that one specific instance. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, you get into the issue of what you got to change your whole lineup to fit this new guy in. And <laughs> right. then can you even construct the lineup that you'd like with the late mass, last minute changes? So that's, that's a tough call too. Yeah. All right. Well, that does it for us on the Tuesday NBA DFS podcast sponsored by FanDuel. We'll be back again next Tuesday to talk more, probably Monday basketball, and also kind of break through what I think will be a similarly small NBA slate. But until then, best of luck to your lineups.